I think we're at a, at a kind of a, at the beginning of a new era, both for gaming, but more specifically, I think, for interactive entertainment as a whole. And what I'm excited about really is the evolution of games to be so much more than what constituted a video game in the past and really morphing and, and growing to become you know, social utilities where people spend their time interacting, playing together, doing things together, socializing, expressing themselves creatively. Hello listener, and a warm welcome to the third episode of the Metacast, the show in which we explore the business of video games. I'm your host, Nico, and today I am joined by Aaron Bush, Jonathan Raas-Fritman, and Anton Gorodetsky. In this episode, we are talking the advantages and disadvantages of building games on UGC platforms like Roblox. We are continuing our discussion on the rise of ecosystems and we are giving our thoughts on Embracer Group's last earnings report. Finally, we are also introducing a brand new segment, which I'm extremely excited about, which is called Pitch the Game. And during that segment, my dear panelists will get one to two minutes to pitch a game. And by the end, I will have to pick one game and try it out before the next episode. Uh, we'll be doing that at the end, so uh, please stay tuned for that. So before diving into our topics, we again have some new voices on the podcast. First of all, we have Jonathan Rasfritman joining us from Columbus, Ohio. Jon has founded multiple startups, including Sozu, Kodo Interactive, and Kano Computing. And he is now building engaging virtual worlds for the metaverse as the founder and CEO of Super Social. And more on that in a little bit. Jon, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Feeling great. Thank you for having me here. Super, super excited to have you. So, uh, Jan, what piques your interest in the industry these days? Well, you know, I think there is so much going on over the past 12, uh, 12 months with, with gaming in general and, and, and more specifically the metaverse and where interactive social experiences are heading. And I think we're at a, at a kind of a, at the beginning of a new era both for gaming, but more specifically, I think, for interactive entertainment as a whole. And what I'm excited about really is the evolution of games to be so much more than what constituted a video game in the past and really morphing and, and growing to become, you know, social utilities where people spend their time interacting, playing together, doing things together, socializing, expressing themselves creatively. And so I think there is a long-term trend that I believe in and really excited about, which is the evolution of the medium of games to become a social network or, and even more so as a, as a global utility where people get together, socialize, create and play. Um, and I'm really excited about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, me too. And it feels like we can almost thank COVID-19 for that as well, that it has accelerated this move by, it feels like five years. Um, and so Jan, very important question. What game are you currently playing? Well, just like with books, I play multiple games at the same time. But at the moment, I'm playing uh, uh, Luigi's Mansion. I'm a big Nintendo fan. I'm playing Animal Crossing and I'm playing uh, Hades. Uh, these are kind of the three games I'm playing at the moment, aside of just spending a ton of time of playing games on Roblox. Hmm. Cool. All right. Next, also with us today, is Anton Gorodetsky joining us from Moscow. Anton is the head of Player One Gaming Media at the Mail.ru group. And he's also the founder of the Invest Game website, where many of us, including myself, get all the news about the boiling hot gaming M&A landscape. Anton, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Uh, I'm good. I'm good. It's finally starting to seem like summer in Russia. Hmm. Uh, and so, Anton, what gets you excited about the gaming industry these days? Man, pretty much everything, really. So taking into account the fact that, you know, I'm the head of the media project, which is called Player One at, the, you know, my games. My games is the gaming division, actually, of Mail.ru. Mm -hmm. And the co-founder of Invest Game with Sergey, by the way, he was the guest for the first episode. Mm -hmm. And I hope he's listening to us as well <laughs> right now. He better be. He better be, right. <laughs> anyway, so... Actually, I'm excited about pretty much everything. I mean, the last year and this year, everybody is suddenly talking about gaming. So, I'm so I, I think we're living in super exciting times. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be ashamed to call yourself a gamer anymore, finally. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> pretty much it, yeah. Please tell my mom. <laughs> and so, Anton, what, ga what game are you currently playing? 
Oh, so it's kind of, you know, I'm kind of ashamed, but I've never played Red Dead Redemption 2. Mm-hmm. So I'm now, I, I actually quite recently got PlayStation 5. And so I, I started Red Dead Redemption 2 last year on my PS4. Uh, and so I'm finishing the game on my PS5. And man, I can I can really talk about this game for hours. Mm. So we we can we can make a separate episode me discussing Red Dead Redemption 2 <laughs> <laughs> and all the things you can do there. Okay. Cool. All right. And then finally we have Aaron Bush. Aaron is the co-founder of Navic and he's also an investor at the Motley Fool. So Aaron, how are the Mass Effect games going? I actually haven't started them yet. I got distracted by something else, which I'll, I'll make my pitch for later. But I'm, I'm still ah, excited nice. to try them out. Maybe maybe the next time I come on, I'll actually have something to say about them. All right. And so um, I don't know if you know this listener, but Aaron wrote an incredibly insightful piece in the Master the Meta newsletter, which you should definitely read. Uh, but we'll also get into that a bit later. So with all of that out of the way, let's dive into things. First topic, user-generated content, the benefits and drawbacks of developing games on a UGC platform. So UGC platforms have been quite a hot topic over the past months. Robux's stock price has more than doubled since it went public in March, and the company is now valued at a $55 billion. And so a few weeks after Roblox went public, Manticore Games, another UGC platform, raised a $100 million Series C round. And so it's quite clear that investors have great expectations for these types of companies. Uh, But today on this episode, I'd like to cut through the hype or perhaps add to it, I don't know, and really understand where the value lies. So Jan, you were building games for Roblox. What made you decide that? Yeah, it's a a great question. I'm being asked that question a lot, especially over the past few months. Uh, A year ago, it was, why on earth are you doing it? Now there's a bit Mm -hmm. more reception to why you're doing it. But um, I think for us, was, it was really a combination of few things. At, at a very high level, it was the understanding that the evolution of gaming as a hub where people interact and spend time socializing is growing. And I think that's kind of relate to what I got excited about a few minutes ago that I told you, that bigger trend of games becoming a social network and where people want to spend their time. And when you looked at Roblox even a year ago, let alone now, you really see a platform that is unprecedented in terms of the engagement level of users on the platform, right? You have, you know, more than 200 million monthly active users and more than 40 million daily active users as of, as, as of end of April, really spending hours every week, every day, uh, playing games and, and, and checking different experiences with their friends. So we got really excited about that. And, and really, in terms of human behavior, what we realized is that Roblox is essentially becoming the internet homepage for a new generation, right? It's Mm. really becoming the first place on the phone or on the iPad where a new generation of users is going to as the first thing they do on the phone. And so that's one component that we got really excited, which is more human behavior. The second thing is that if you think about what Roblox provide and why, in our opinion, it's kind of an era-defining platform, it's because it's a game engine like Unity, right? It's a game engine. It's also a distribution and publishing platform, right? It's also a social network and it's also a cloud service provider. So it's really four mega billion dollar industries combined in one company and one platform, which is really, really exciting. And the outcome Mm -hmm. of that is it allows a company like Super Social to build 3D game worlds at a fraction of the time and the cost of what it takes to build on a different engine like Unreal or Unity, right? And if I take one of our games, for example, which is an RPG, you know, it would take us multi-year and multi-million dollar funding to do one game. And I think Roblox allows us to do that at a fraction of the time and the cost. Um, And then the third piece is that, um, you know, I'm the type of entrepreneur who loves to build quickly and quite rapidly get to market. And I think when you think about video games, if you talk about like 3D game worlds and multiplayer game worlds, it takes ages. And I think with Roblox, we saw an opportunity to really build things that are more rapidly being able to prototype and iterate and get them to market. Um, and so, you know, I think these are kind of the three core components that uh, we got really excited about. And then the fourth component, which we got excited about after we started to operate on the platform, was really realizing 
the power of the raw imagination of the creators on the platform, you know, quote unquote, UGC creators, mm -hmm. really realizing that you really have a whole new generation of creators who are spending hours and years on the platform, really professionalizing themselves and being able to partner with and work alongside those talented individuals. That is also became some a factor that we are incredibly excited and proud of at Super Social. Mm -hmm. Ah, interesting. I uh, I never thought about the the failing fast part. It ties a bit into the discussion that we had last week, last episode, where um, we were discussing how to use UA to you know think about game concept design, figure out what actually is interesting for for consumers, and makes a lot of sense that if you're building something so intensive and so difficult as a, like a 3D game, that making that part faster and easier allows you to, in general, make better games faster, I guess. Um, and so you already talked about the reduction in costs. Um, and so I, I assume that that for you, the, the fact that you have to pay Roblox a revenue share um, still makes the deal very much worth for you? Well, I think it's definitely... Uh... I think there's a lot of misconception around that economic model. Yes, Roblox mm -hmm. takes a much, much bigger cut of the revenue than other engines or other platforms, if it's you know Unreal or if it's uh, Steam or et cetera, et cetera. Um, but, but I think what you need to keep in mind is if you go and build a game on Unreal, right, you're, you're ultimately going to spend multi-million dollar in several years just building that one game, right? Mm -hmm. And yes, you're going to keep a bigger cut of the revenue, but you're also spending and investing a much, much bigger amount of money and building this one game. And so on a place like Roblox, you're going to spend a dramatically lower amount of money to build that one game. But yes, you give a bigger portion, but you're generating less revenue for your company, but you also invest much less. So you really need to, it's not apple to apple, right? You mm -hmm. really need to evaluate on a case by case basis and first decide what type of business you're building, what type of company you're building, right? What the What is the economic engine and the economic structure of the company you want to build? Mm -hmm. And I think that probably then helps you get to a better decision at what engine, what platform do you really want to go and build on? But just saying that it makes no sense to build on Roblox because Roblox takes 70, 75% of the revenue cut just using that as a deterministic approach, in my mind, just doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, agreed. And going further, um, looking forward, do you expect the very big AAA developers to at some point dip their toes in, in developing on Roblox? Um, one reason I can imagine is just to reach the audience. Look, I think it's a really great question, right? I mean, if you look historically, and I, I you know, I'm a... I'm a kind of voracious reader of history. If you look at Facebook and what happened with social games on Facebook, and if you look at mobile, Facebook games ultimately didn't evolve into something, a place where big AAA developers build games, but mobile has, right? And so there are different ways and outcomes for Roblox as a platform. Um, if you ask me based on what I see today, I don't see AAA developers in the near term, let's say in the next two to three years coming to the Roblox platform, maybe on a longer on a longer term trajectory, yes, maybe four, five, six years from now and beyond. Um, and I do believe that once they do decide, you know, the Activisions, the Blizzards, the, the Zingas of the world, uh, once they do decide to come into a place like Roblox potentially, I think that means a couple of things. Once, one, it means that Roblox really evolved into a much bigger ecosystem than it mm -hmm. already is today. And I think there is definitely a lot of a lot of signals that are positive on that happening over the next three to five years. And then the second thing is most likely, and this is just my hypothesis, most likely those AAA developers are not going to come and build from scratch. I think they would probably most likely start with acquisitions of existing players on the platform to shorten their time to market and also understanding of the mechanics of the platform. Mm -hmm. Hey, Jan, I'm curious. One, I want to know when Ghostopia is coming out, which I know that your team has been been working on pretty hard for a while. But second, I'm just curious, what have you learned from working on that game or other games that you didn't know or understand about Roblox? Like, like what, like what do you see from working on it behind the scenes that maybe everyone else who's just watching hasn't quite picked up on? Yeah, 
Great, great questions. Uh, so first, Gostopia, we're really, really excited about Gostopia. Uh, stay tuned for when it's going to come live. It's going to happen and we're going to do a soft launch uh, in the in the in the coming months. And Gostopia is a beautiful, you know, incredibly designed um, sort of sandbox RPG, which kind of feels like Animal Crossing meets RuneScape in a haunted world. And, and it's going to be amazing experience on the Roblox platform. Um, so really excited about this launch. And, and but also we have three other games under development early stage uh, oh, wow. um, which we're planning to go live with this year so we've, we've got we've got a we've got a few surprises coming uh this year which we're, we're really excited about and then um in terms of in terms of the question you 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 asked i think the the fundamental learning lesson learned so far is how different and unique roblox is in terms of what users expect and want to play with and and i think the where we spend time is really understanding what type of gameplay mechanics really work on the platform. What's really surprising and counterintuitive still to a lot of people, including ourselves, is that the the level of importance of graphics and aesthetics is actually relatively low on the Roblox platform. Uh, players really appreciate good gameplay and gameplay mechanics and social play and being able to you know spend time with their friends playing great games. It's not that aesthetics and graphics is not important, but it's less important than what you would imagine, you know, in AAA for sure, but also in mobile gaming. And then I think another piece is that, um, look, the reality is that uh, historically the Roblox engine has been built for individual user-generated uh, content creators and developers. Um, and I think for Roblox to really being able to cater effectively and sustainably to professional developers or organizations like Super Social and others. Um, there's definitely a lot of room for, for growth and, and improvement on the engine and the development platform itself, uh, which is called Studio. And I know that Roblox is working incredibly hard on taking it to the next level and expanding, but I think there's definitely a lot of room for growth on that in, and in how uh, how efficient and effective development teams can work together, you know, artists and the and the engineers and the game designers. And I think that's that's definitely a place where we would love to see the platform evolving in terms of growth. And and the last piece I would say, the 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 game discovery is still fundamentally you know viral. Um, the personalized discovery is getting better with with the algorithms that Roblox are building. But I think I still think that predominantly games are being discovered in the most effective way when friends invite friends. Um, so you know that sort of social and viral effect. Um, and also influencers on YouTube, especially, play an important role in game discovery on the platform. So, so I think anyone who thinks about building on the Roblox platform, you know, really important to you know understand how you work around these characteristics and actually take advantage of them versus you know being limited by them. Mm -hmm. I'd like to to have your uh, your take on on your vision of Roblox for the future, and I'd also like to. To have Anton and Aaron chime in, either if they agree or, or perhaps disagree. I think the possibilities for Roblox are are truly, truly immense. Roblox primarily became grown to become sort of a, a social hub, a social network where, you know, quote unquote, accidentally players and users come together around games. They even changed the name now, as you know, from games to experiences. So they no longer call these games which I think is also a testament and a, and a signal to how Roblox themselves think about the future. I believe that Roblox, if they play their cards right and if they follow on all the opportunities that, that are in front of them, Roblox could be at the forefront of, of interactive entertainment becoming the gateway to, to, the, to a new global social utility, right? If you look at the past, the way social networks have been built, like Facebook, it's been very much about interacting with one another around messages, around you know uh, published content that is very simple and linear from news uh, to music to videos. I think the opportunity of building a global social utility around interactive entertainment of all sorts, if it's games and learning experiences and music experiences and all kind of interactive virtual experiences, I think that that's what Roblox would ultimately become. Um, that sort of big hub and a contender for the metaverse. But I also believe that there's going to be several players probably building platforms that take um, advantage of these technological shifts and human behaviors. Um, you know, Epic is one of them. I think blockchain is interesting. But I do believe that Roblox have the opportunity over the next five to 10 years to position itself as a prime company and potentially one of the era 
most defining companies in, in enabling the metaverse or essentially enabling, you know, large scale virtual experiences and virtual worlds where millions and maybe billions of people come together around play and other interactive experiences. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting. I think that uh, Roblox clearly is onto something big. And I think you mentioned, Nico, they're a $55 billion company like that's their market cap right now in mm-hmm. perspective ea is something mm-hmm. like 45 billion i think off the top of my head so despite being a much larger business so in general people have really high expectations for what roblox can become and i think uh there's no reason why roblox necessarily can't become much bigger attract more people who create more types of experiences build out the developer tools more to uh, just allow for better types of gameplay other experiences better monetization like the list goes on and on i think the opportunity is there but the execution to get there is really hard and something like aging up that's really important i think roblox can probably succeed but in order to do that it's not like you flip a switch there's probably dozens hundreds of of smaller details that that they need to sort out and improve on in order for that to actually happen um so I don't have a strong opinion on whether you know the 55 billion is justified or not. I think over time it, it could go could go higher. This could be a 100 billion dollar company. We'll we'll see. Um, but they have a lot to sort out. I think what I would also just quickly mention is that right now it still sort of feels like we're at a time when when people think UGC, they sort of think of it as synonymous with Roblox. When you know UGC is bigger than Roblox itself. I mean. Um, you know, Minecraft is huge. Manticore is in the works. Um, UGC isn't even necessarily, I mean, it's a buzzword and it's not even necessarily unique to games, but even within games, it can mean a variety of things. And this isn't to take away from Roblox, but I, I feel like it, it's just worth mentioning that creator mm-hmm. tools are popping up across the spectrum. You know, you have the Unreal Engine on one side, Fortnite creator mode on the other side and everything in between. And I think that how people perceive UGC is going to broaden a little bit and Roblox will become a piece of it but I think that they're also just going to think a bit broader as well and so just just for example I think that there are really interesting UGC form factors that have yet to hit the mainstream yet one example is a company called Playbyte which is making essentially a mobile app that's Super Mario Maker meets TikTok it allows individuals to create mini games that players can then scroll through and presumably rate it's fascinating. It's not something that you would probably see on Roblox, and it's just one idea. I think it's also important to remember that UGC mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily mean a single app or a single microverse-like destination like Roblox, even though that, that destination could become massive. I don't necessarily believe that Roblox in and of itself or another company will become the single destination for all things UGC. A couple of weeks ago, I had a great conversation with Scott Rice-Manis, who's the founder CEO of Mod.io. Um, we published it on our website. And that team is building a platform that enables studios to better leverage their communities and better embed modding into their games. And I feel like modding almost feels old school to some people now. And it's sort of forgotten about as Roblox has taken the spotlight. But as better tools are being made there, as more studios start to see the benefits of uh, the engagement benefits from unleashing their communities as modders start earning more money, um, et cetera. I think we'll start to also see UGC via mods go more mainstream again, too. So I guess my, my ultimate point here is that UGC as a whole in games is a really big deal. And it's going to breed really large companies that do really big things, possibly even beyond games. Um, but there's going to be many paths to succeed and probably many different types of winners it probably won't disrupt everything but it's still you know all of these various versions will add up it will expand the industry by growing the number of total creators and it probably will still further market share roblox is a big piece but it's definitely not the only the only thing to watch for out there fully agree aaron now i'd like to tie this into the second topic of today which is um, the rise of ecosystems so aaron if you could maybe just quickly give us a short summary uh, of your framework. And then I'd like to have your thoughts on where you believe that Roblox falls within your framework and perhaps uh, where it is heading. Sure, so I'll explain explain my 
framework really quickly, which I actually wrote down in our latest Master of the Meta newsletter. Uh, also, to be clear, this is more of an observation than anything scientific or bulletproof, and it's not meant to be taken no, over, no, man. <laughs> over literally. But I think that my general observation is that ecosystems are growing in importance regarding games, and there are different types of ecosystems, and I see three main types. The first one is what I what I call a franchise ecosystems, and that's when a company builds a multi-game, multi-platform strategy around a key franchise or intellectual property. It's essentially what Call of Duty is doing with its premium games, Warzone, Call of Duty Mobile, that type of thing. Uh, the second type of ecosystem is just more of a broader gaming ecosystem, which is when a company complements its games with hardware, platforms, software, or other types of services that bring greater scale and cross sales. And then the third tier is, I, I don't have a great way of putting it, but I guess it's just like broader ecosystems. It could be more like entertainment ecosystems or tech ecosystems or some mix of that where gaming becomes just one piece of a company's broader self-reinforcing strategy. It's one product out of many. And regarding Roblox, I think, again, like this framework is not, not scientific. I feel that Roblox is very much a gaming ecosystem of sorts with, you know, a small touch of non-gaming experiences like digital concerts that are being baked in. We'll see more of that over time. You know, technically they can build other types of experiences into the app, but I sort of doubt that <laughs> that people will will use it increasingly, at least anytime soon, to like take work meetings or classes in Roblox. Maybe that's like a long time away thing. And again, Roblox is really just one app. So it's not, in my opinion, really part of a much broader entertainment or tech ecosystem like if it were folded under disney or microsoft or something but that's fine they don't they don't need to be they have they're basically building a network a network that empowers people to build things and they're aggregating all of that together in one place and so maybe you could call that an ecosystem maybe you can call that an aggregator either way i think what they're doing is fine and maybe in five years we'll think about it differently as they do more stuff but that's sort of how i think about them right now in context with, you know, those broader ecosystem observations. Yeah, I want to I wanna comment on that. So look, if you look at a 10-year time frame, no one knows what will happen. A lot of things change, a lot of things. It's, it's a long, long time. Um, a decade in our world today, it's impossible to envision what's going to happen in 10 years. However, let's look at the fundamentals of what's probably not going to change. Right. And, and what's not going to change is people are probably going to continue to consume more than ever before interactive content. Video games or game worlds in that regard will play, will continue to play an instrumental role. Second, technology like game engines are going to enable people to create ever more expansive, immersive virtual environments and virtual worlds where a lot of things are going to happen in those virtual worlds. The, the free-to-play movement that started, you know, 15 years ago on, on PC with League of Legends and, you know, playing immersive games for free and, and paying and, and purchasing accessories and outfits for your character and avatars, this is now kind of the became industry standard, right? And, and, and by the way, on Roblox, it's the majority of the revenue for, for developers at the moment. And so what's not going to change is and actually will continue to grow is the fact that we are going to manifest our personalities ever more than before from the lens of an avatar. And that could be on Roblox, that could be on Snapchat, that could be on TikTok, that could be anywhere, right? And so that means that there's gonna be a whole layer of economy that serves our avatars in these virtual worlds. And that's going to become you know, a massive, massive industry. And I think if you look at ARC, you know, investment, if you look at the recent report in 2021 and putting virtual worlds as one of the top trends, I think that's fully aligned with what I just described. And then I think a third piece that is not going to change is people are going to continue and want to socialize and connect with one another around experiences that they enjoy spending time on. That's not going to change. That's only going to grow. And so I think the question, you know, we need to ask ourselves is what role a company like Roblox play in a future like that? And I think it could be a massive role. If Roblox plays all of their cards right, it could be as big and potentially even bigger than a company like Facebook because they're building an infrastructure for a social experience and social connection, accidentally revolving around 
you know, 3D experiences, games, music, etc., etc. And so Roblox have the opportunity and the advantage because the fact is they are years ahead of everyone else. Even Epic doesn't really have what Roblox has in terms of a platform. I believe they want to turn Fortnite into a platform, but that's going to take time to build the tools, to build that audience, to build the fact that it's really about the technology and the infrastructure. But Roblox really have a lot, a lot to, a lot to lose because there is so much they can do, and they really need to keep their focus on what company they're building, which is that sort of agnostic platform for 3D game worlds and experiences. And so I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised at all if Roblox in 10 year time is a quarter trillion dollar company in terms of market cap. But I wouldn't be surprised if it's also a 20, 30 billion market cap because you just don't know. You don't know who is going to come around the corner. You don't know how big Mentacore, Rec Room and others could become. You don't really know yet what Epic is going to do. And you don't know how the other big companies, anywhere from Apple to Facebook to Google to Amazon to Snapchat to Disney, you don't know how they are going to adapt to that reality. I mean, if you only look at what Disney has done with streaming and how they've fast-paced themselves to Matt to kind of get closer to Netflix. I think it's way more difficult to do that when you talk about game engines and 3D game worlds and virtual environments. But again, you can't underestimate what big companies are able to do with their capital and their extraordinary size of infrastructure. But all I would say as a, as a, as a, as a summary is that my POV, Roblox could be 10 times big as they are now but could also stay the same size as a market cap unless they take advantage of the of the opportunities that they have over the next five to 10 years in building a much bigger global social utility than just a quote unquote, you know, gaming platform for teens and, te- and tweens. Mm-hmm. Right, right, absolutely. And well, first I should say, uh, Aaron, you should not be ashamed of the, of the things you say on the newsletter because you always sound like you're... You're not sure about that. You're somehow, you know, like insecure about these ideas, but these ideas are great. And yes. the, you know, the list of the types of ecosystem, I have never, I've actually haven't met that one before. And so when we're getting to Embracer, uh, we're going to play a little game <laughs> uh, trying to describe which kind of ecosystem is that. But we'll get to it later. And for now, when we're talking about the future of gaming, industry and the future of ecosystems we should well yon is actually very much right here when he's he's saying that you know roblox can be 10 times bigger or roblox can stay the same and some other big players are going to be are going to stay platforms and they're going to incorporate gaming into it and they're actually trying to do that and every one of them is trying to do that and again I believe the cornerstone of this discussion is to clearly see the difference between game as a product and as a business unit and gaming as the, you know, as the set of social mechanics we use to communicate, to interact with each other online, obviously. When we're thinking about like buying a subscription and maybe sharing the economy of different games, I mean, having a single avatar and buying and trading the, I don't know, some gun, some weapon from one game, trading it for the weapon in the other game. Will this ever happen? This would be the the ultimate ecosystem to me. But again, which company will, will do that and whether they will do it remains to be seen. And I'm not really sure that's ever going to happen. Because when we're thinking about all these limitless possibilities of the web and of the, you know, 5G internet and uh, all of this other stuff, sometimes people tend to forget the limitations of the real world, the economic limitations, the business limitations, and all of that stuff. Who knows? To, uh, to touch on to that, I have some experience in the crypto space. And I think what you described, I feel like NFTs would be a very good use case to build some kind of system where different games can can hook onto these type of NFTs where you can trade, you know, your gun skin from CSGO and start reusing it in uh, Call of Duty or something like that. I feel like that's that would be a, a potential cool use case or good use case for uh, NFTs. But uh, I think that's the topic of, an, of another discussion. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think that um, 
I, I'm sort of split on that topic. I think my dream and my ideals align with, you know, the industry becoming much more interoperable where, yes, you can you can take your avatar everywhere. You can take your inventory everywhere. But yeah, that's not going to happen like anytime soon at all. And even something like owning an NFT, like companies just aren't going to support, you know, it being everywhere. I think we might see some some like network microcosms come up at some point where certain companies start banding together and allowing things because they think it, you know, it, it benefits them. But yeah, to expect everyone to support that, it's not going to happen. And, and honestly, like games too being creative endeavors, like a lot of them, like they want to be built standalone and in a vacuum. And it wouldn't make sense for them to interoperate with, with other, other networks or other things. So yeah, I think the future there is still very murky. I think there definitely there definitely are ways where value will be created and where, you know, some companies will figure out a way to interoperate to some degree. I even I even think like Epic Games, like this is part of their vision too. But yeah, to be industry-wide is pretty pretty far-fetched at this point. But I mean, something like Roblox, like if it does scale to a billion people, it, it does essentially allow that in one place, which makes it easier. And so, like I guess a lot of people think about like interoperability across a lot of decentralized independent entities, which is sort of like the crypto dream. But in reality, we might actually see the opposite, which is where, you know, it only really works in centralized places where a billion people come together onto the same platform. I don't know. It's going to be fascinating. It's just, yeah, tough to mm -hmm. see how that plays out. Mm -hmm. I see. I'll have to build a very strong case to convince you, Aaron, but, uh, uh, I'll, I'll get there. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. I guess Nico, to clarify, I am I am bullish on crypto, and I I mean I own some ether. I we're working on a really exciting nice. project with um, Immutable, and they're building a really cool like layer two scaling solutions. and working on some games, so I think like really exciting things can be done. But I sort of that doesn't translate into industry wide interoperability. I think that reality will be a little bit less than that, but there still are plenty of exciting things with these emerging technologies to be excited about. Mm -hmm. All right, moving on. Still talking about ecosystems and companies that are building ecosystems. Uh, let's quickly touch upon the Embracer Group earnings report. Uh, I'll give you some highlights. The net sales are up 72%, but net profits are only up 2%. Uh, Valheim has sold 6.8 million copies, including one copy to yours truly. Um, Embracer has made more than 25 acquisitions since the beginning of 2020 and has raised funds to do even more. And it is also currently in late stage, late stage talks with more than 20 parties for even more acquisitions. Anton, what are your thoughts? Here? <laughs> you practically uh, just told half of my... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, man. No, I'm just kidding. That's okay. So yeah, uh, talking about ecosystems here, right? And um, using Aaron's um, methodology for ecosystem, I would call it some, you know, Aaron Bush uh, methodology for defining ecosystems. <laughs> Coining it, yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I would say that Embracer is number two. So it's the gaming ecosystem. When a company complements its games with hardware, platforms, software, or other types of services that bring greater scale and cross sales. So obviously Embracer is not about hardware yet, but they are already trying to, you know, complement their core business, core gaming business with some other services, which is obviously publishing and even PR. So last year they bought, uh, what's it called? Sandbox Strategies PR firm. And these guys can be called, I believe, they can be uh, called gaming ecosystem, at least in terms of the PC and console titles. Not so sure about mobile so far, but, you know, still, when it comes to PC and console, they are building something there. So, yeah, uh, you actually may have some other opinions on the type of ecosystem. So if you do, please share it. I actually don't even really view them as an ecosystem. <laughs> I think they're they just threw a lot of studios together in a decentralized way, hmm. and they don't necessarily complement each other. They they don't necessarily cross sell. I mean, if we want to talk about like the synergies a little bit, I don't think there are many hmm. other than just kind of sharing learnings from studio to studio 
occasionally. And as they scale, it's kind of tough to build process around that, I imagine, and maybe that's fine. But yeah, I don't, I never really thought of them as a studio or so that just a management team that's throwing a lot of things together and hoping that it sticks. Um, but mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, as a whole, I think Embracer still is a good business just because you are or aren't an ecosystem doesn't necessarily mean you are, or aren't a, a good business. And, and so, I mean, we're seeing Embracer grow pretty well. A lot of that's acquisitive. Their organic growth is pretty decent too. They announced that over the past year, they doubled their headcount. Um, and they also like, they're up to like 160 projects in the works right now. So there's a ton going on in mm-hmm. this business and they still generate pretty good cash flows. You can kind of get nitpicky about like how things are trending, but ultimately this is a good business <laughs> that's just throwing a lot of things together. But I think the bigger questions are more about does the strategy make sense? Is it sustainable? Like, where does it ultimately end up? And is it going to create as much value as management think it will? Mm-hmm. Well, actually, I was kind of, you know, joking about the ecosystem stuff because, yeah, they are a gaming business which is which focuses on making games. And that's actually a good thing because everybody's talking about the ecosystems and multiverses or whatever you call it these days. But these guys are just trying to make a huge, successful, sustainable gaming business. But the way they do it, well, yeah, that like remains to be discussed. I mean, the frantic, well, it's, it's not frantic, but it's very aggressive M&A uh, hunt for the studios. And so, yeah, judging by the financials, well, as Nico has already said, net sales are up to... 72%, so that's uh, 9 billion uh, Swedish crowns. That's pretty much $1 billion, so that's an impressive figure. But what's more important is that the EBITDA and operational EBIT also grew, and uh, EBITDA grew to uh, 119% to nearly half a billion dollars, uh, 477 and their operational bid is up to is up uh, 178% to $350 million. So that's impressive. And again, uh, they obviously have some, well, they're not ecosystem, uh, but they have some synergetic like businesses and operating units they c- that can complement each other. And that's obviously the publishing division and the, and the PR again. And uh, the experience those studios and those operating units share between each other. And there is not a single sign that these guys are going to stop because, as has been mentioned already, they're in talks with more than 150 companies and 20 of them are in the late stage, which means that you know we're in for some more news uh, in the second quarter by Embracer. And... The funny, the curious idea here, the, the curious fact actually here is that uh, according to Invest Game, by the way, they've spent more than $2.5 billion on the deals in the second quarter of t- t- 2021 than in the whole 2020. So that was like $1.5 billion. So for the last year and a quarter, they've spent $4 billion on M&A. And when when we come up with this question, like, is it sustainable or is it, uh, you know, is it a good strategy? Well, just to just to understand. So they've spent four billion dollars on the deals since January 2020 uh, till March 2021. But their market cap, their market capitalization was two point five billions uh, in January 2020. And now in June 2021, it's 14.5 billion dollars so market cap is up six times right this is amazing so i guess these guys know what they're doing and yeah so i guess it is sustainable and steel front shows it's sustainable and zynga shows it's sustainable so uh judging by their free cash flow by their (laughs) sorry Uh, i was saying we'll see I, I, I'm a little bit more skeptical than you are, Anton. I think um, 
these companies have done a really good job of financial engineering over the past couple of years in the sense sure. that sure. they're able to use their, you know, higher valued their own stock and be able to raise shares and issue debt at low interest rates in order to to then get much more lower multiple companies added to their business, which when they are added to their business, they then help they trade at higher multiples and the cycle sort of repeats until it doesn't. And I'm really intrigued by what Embracer is doing and what Stillfront is doing. But I'm a little more uncertain than you are, I guess, about where exactly this is going. And so in my mind, I sort of I sort of roll this through a couple lenses. One is just like the business in general, like how to think about acquisition lens. And then like adding on the second, the gaming lens. And so from a business in general perspective, there are a ton of examples across many industries of companies that maintain successful serial acquisition strategies for years, if not decades. Um, But in my observation, it's usually a function of three things. Either one, that specific industry is more, it just more naturally lends itself to cost-effective acquisitions where, you know, costs can either be significantly cut or plugging into a larger system immediately improves the scale of whatever was acquired. Um, And you see that in, I don't know, like financial exchange companies, for example, really random. Second, these types of companies are typically led by really smart capital allocators who are extremely disciplined. And then third, often I've noticed that, you know, the sustainability of this model is a byproduct of risk being reduced and risk being reduced is a byproduct of high margin recurring revenues. So like software, um, Constellation Software is a company not many people know of that is really good at serial acquiring or even something, uh, a completely other different industry like aftermarket aerospace parts. There's a company called Transdime that has built uh, a really good strategy around this. So I, I think you can take a lot of learnings from other industries to then kind of at least see part of what these be able to judge part of what these companies are doing. Um, and then if you apply that to the gaming industry and then Embracer, I think acquisitions in the gaming industry are far less driven by anything synergistic. And it's just, it's much more that it's more capital efficient for a company to buy what it know works, especially if it can financial engineer in some way versus spend lots of money internally on competing projects that might not pan out. But there actually is very, little inherently synergistic with independent creator teams coming together in Embracer's case. They still all run in a, in a decentralized way. Although, sure, they can learn from each other and, and do some things. It still is very decentralized. And then I know there are good capital allocators out there in the gaming industry, but those are the exception. And I'm not convinced. <laughs> I, I don't know if Lars of Embracer is that. And then lastly, high margin recurring revenues is where the industry is going. It's certainly not everything. Um, And Embracer probably has some recurring revenue, but I don't think it's as high as we'd see in other super acquisitive industries. And so my concern, I'll just wrap up quickly, is twofold. The larger a company gets, they either need to, one, buy more companies to move the needle, or two, buy bigger companies to move the needle. And that first one, the more shots that a company takes in a short amount of time, the more likely it is that they're compromising on quality or potentially not thinking through each individual deal as much as is deserved compared to the past. Maybe Embracer is. I don't know. I wouldn't... I, I don't know what to assume. It, it, to me, it just sort of looks like a shotgun approach to acquisitions at this point. Maybe it, maybe it works, but it gets me a little bit nervous when I see that. And then second, not only did they say they looked at 150 targets, they're in 20 late stage conversations, but in that 20, they're looking at potentially larger deals too. And when you acquire larger companies, it raises the importance of making, of really making sure you get make the right call on whether you should do it and you get a good price. And I've seen serial acquirers in other businesses screech to a halt because they made large acquisitions that struggled. And then it therefore dragged down returns of the entire business and became those like units became turnaround projects, which meant that, you know, the stock price of the parent company went lower and then they couldn't use that effective their like this the stock shares anymore effectively for acquisitions and it can just kind of turn into a nasty feedback loop if you make a wrong deal on a big company and so i'm super intrigued by what embracer is doing but the the more that they just like go hard and the bigger they go the more i just i sort of 
I'm sort of hesitant. Um, and I think the risk here is actually increasing. That's my take. I could be completely wrong to be nervous, but that's just how I how I'm viewing it. But the last thing I'll say is that in order to measure that success or that sustainability going forward, I think the key metric that at least I'm looking at is organic growth because it kind of shows like, all right, you brought in all of these teams, you did, you generated a lot of acquisitive growth, but now that they're here, what are they doing for you? Um, and is it is it more impressive than it would have been if they remained standalone businesses? And that that is probably the best metric for understanding if this model in general is creating the value that they say they will. Um, right. And so, if you, yeah, if you look at this past quarter or this past year, organic growth was really was really solid. And I think a lot of that has to do. Yeah. I think a lot of that has to do with kind of like standout hits like Valheim came out of Mm -hmm. Embracer, maybe a couple others. Um, And they'll, yeah, they'll just need to continue finding ways to generate those hits or generate more, again, that higher margin recurring revenue and, and more studios. So organic growth is the number one thing that I have an eye for. And I think it connects like margin, it connects the margins, which are somewhat related if Embracer generates big hits that drive organic growth, it will also likely show up in cash flows too. And so it, it's all kind of connected, but if organic growth is trending the right way and they remain disciplined in how things are run, then the business will, will be in good shape. Sure. Jan, what are your thoughts on these types of M&A strategies? Yeah, look, I'm not, a, I'm not an expert on Embracer, but uh, uh, I think if I, my, my word of caution is that you just you never know like what really the detailed strategy of, of these type of companies right and, and and what are they really trying to push and what other what are the, the synergies that I that they that they have and design but if I look at a very objective external viewer type of angle I see a company that just keeps acquire they keep acquiring IP and teams that build IP IP is critical for the future of interactive entertainment uh, if you look at Disney, what they've done with you know Marvel and Star Wars and and Pixar, um, and if you take a a long term view, where IP of games will only grow in importance for the wider interaction with society and with consumers, then I think what a company like Embracer is obviously doing, they're piling up IP, and so when I look at their aggressive acquisition, which by the way is a very straightforward way to grow fast. Um, to grow your top line fast. It's, it's been done in multiple different industries. I would actually be curious how that strategy plays out five to 10 years from now, rather than the next three, four years. And, and I think if you take a long-term view of the importance of IP uh, and IP becoming ever more important in the future of, of inter- entertainment overall and consumer uh, preferences, uh, I think what they're doing is interesting. How does that perform financially? I mean, you know, let's see, they're a public company, so we're going to learn more. Uh, but I think it's really, really intriguing how aggressive they are. I haven't seen in, in tech or entertainment that level of aggressiveness uh, in terms of acquisition. So it's really interesting to see. It's been done in other industries, very common in pharmaceutical, right, uh, uh, in terms of how you grow. So it's a strategy of how you grow fast, um, faster than, than you would organically, because seeing... IP developed internally until it comes to life, until you monetize, until you grow that IP. It just takes years, three, four, five years. You buy, you acquire these type of studios quickly and you pile them up. You not only expand the access to, to great IP, uh, you also expand your exposure to other platforms. And so if what they've done so far is any indication to the future, I would imagine they, they're going to only continue and accelerate because they're obviously they have a trajectory of how they're operating and we'll probably only know in five to 10 years how this strategy has performed. That's just my you know, two cents. But again, I'm not an expert on Embracer, just kind of a, a viewer's point. All right. Interesting views. I'm uh, personally a bit more critical. I'm not sure how sustainable this type of M&A strategy is, especially when there's so many big players fishing in the same pond. Um, and I also believe that the market tends to overvalue growth through M&A, especially when there's no obvious synergies. Um, I guess investors just like it when stuff happens. Okay, moving on. Let's get to the fun stuff. Let's hear some pitches. I'm extremely excited for this. So, dear panelists, you each have two minutes to pitch a game. 
and I'll pick one to try out before next week. Anton, you can go first. Thank you so much, Nico. So first, I was I was about to pitch you Red Dead Redemption 2. Mm. <laughs> uh, but, well, yeah, I believe everybody has played that except for me. So I'm going to pitch you this mobile game, which is called Rush Royale. So it, it's both on Android and iOS, and it's a tower defense. But instead of towers, there are like warriors and wizards, and uh, you have to defend your castle, and there's a rush of enemies, like in, as in every tower defense game. And it's actually a combination of a tower defense and a collective card game. So you have to combine your cards, and the better the hand, the better the chances to stay longer during the tower defense. Uh, and you can play both PvP and uh, co-op mode. So there are two modes, and you can play along with your friends or against them. And the beautiful thing about this game, apart from the gameplay, apart from the mechanics, is that I know for sure, I know for certain, that the team which created it, they made the game 100% on uh, work-from-home mode. So they conceived the idea of the game when the whole team, the whole studio was already uh, on isolation. And so they got it through to the full release, to the global release on, uh, on an isolation mode. And it performs really well. So I guess you should try it out. Thank you. All right. So first of all, as a gamer, I don't really care if they made it from home or not, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> it's nice if they did it, but uh, as a, if the game is good, that's good enough. Um, I'm intrigued. It's a tower defense game. I, I've spent hundreds of hours playing tower defense games in custom maps in Warcraft 3. I don't know if, uh, if you guys ever played those. That was amazing. Let's hear the, the next pitches. Aaron. Awesome. So I know... A couple weeks ago, I said I'd play the Mass Effect Remastered Trilogy, but then I realized I should probably finish a couple games in my backlog first. So instead, I played Bioshock Infinite, which wraps up the Bioshock Trilogy for me and was really awesome. I mean, uh, it was a great standalone game, too. If you, played Bio if you haven't played the original Bioshock, you could play that one, too. But Bioshock Infinite was originally published in 2013, but it still holds up really well. Unlike the earlier games which take place in an underwater city, this game mostly takes place in a militarized yet religiously zealous city in the sky <laughs> where you're sort of a private detective that's working to break a woman out of the city away from the prophet who is sort of like the dictator of the city. And so the game, the atmosphere is awesome. The writing is really good. The gameplay is fun. Uh, it's a it's a shooter game, essentially. And the story becomes both, you know, mind-numbing. It opens up the Bioshock universe in an interesting way and connects to the initial games in an interesting way, too. So I don't know if you've played the original Bioshock. If not, you definitely give that a try, although Infinite could be standalone. But if you have, make sure you play Infinite. It's an awesome game. All right. Okay, that's also intriguing. I've, I've seen these games pause by. I haven't tried them uh, any of the Bioshock games, but I might have to try. All right. Intrigued again. <laughs> Very good. Jan. Yes, I, uh, I'm going to pitch a game where, um, you know, you take the role of, of, of an immortal prince of, of the underworld. And, you know, what you need to do is, you know, you need to wield kind of the powers and the, and the mythic weapons of, of, you know, folks from the Olympus, uh, you know, like Zeus and Athena and Poseidon uh, to kind of really charge your way and hacking and slashing in the underworld in sort of a dungeon-like environment, uh, beautifully designed, aesthetically pleasing, made by Supergiant. And, and the game is called Hades, uh, which I'm sure you've all heard of. And maybe because I, you know, we're building at Super Social Games on Roblox and multiplayer and 3D, I kind of wanted uh, to recommend something that is more simple on Nintendo Switch. So I've been enjoying playing it. I haven't finished yet, but I've been enjoying playing it. It's it's, it's really an outstanding uh, piece of design. Both the gameplay, the narrative, the characters are very quirky and funny and, and exciting and well-designed. And, and I also love the the, the intersection of the RPG, but also using the capabilities and the powers of some you know ancient gods uh, to kind of chart my way through the game. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm liking it. I'm playing it now and, and I, I highly recommend checking it out. Man, you guys are making this really hard for me. There's some really like, Good choices. Like one is the tower defense, which I I really like that that game. Although 
I found it, it does get boring quite fast, but then if there's a PvP mode, that makes it cool. And then there's Bioshock is something that I, looks interesting. I haven't tried it yet. And then Nades, I heard about it. I heard a lot of great things, and it seems like a, like a very cool concept. Can we, like, uh, you know... Uh, support the game that we've chosen, like uh, trying to, <laughs> uh, trying to make you play it still, or is the pitch done? <laughs> the pitch is the pitch is done. It's an elevator pitch. Uh, so you you had your minute, man. Sorry, uh, <laughs> it's already hard enough for me to choose. But I, I I made a decision. I'm gonna play a game, a type of game that I haven't played too much before, uh, and that's gonna be Hades. So uh, Jan, congratulations, you're the winner. Woo! Uh, All right, I'll, I'll try your game. <laughs> it is um, awesome so yeah I'll let you know it's just something new I haven't tried this type of game yet um, but I, I, I like the RPG elements and also like Greek mythology so um, let's try that so Nico could you maybe buy a console for the next time <laughs> I'll ask my girlfriend because uh, she doesn't want me taking over our TV preferably PlayStation 5 please PlayStation 5 if I can get my hands on one I'm trying to get one too I'll, yeah I'll see what I can do and I'll, I'll keep you posted um, and with that, that ends the episode. Anton, Aaron, and Jan, thank you very much for your insights. It was a pleasure having you. It was really fun. Dear listener, thank you for listening. Reach out if you want at metacast.navig.co. Enjoy your weekend and speak to you next episode. Cheers. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.